0: Bangoria has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and is delivered right to your front door four times a year. Each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including, from time to time, your handsome and very smart KingCast hosts. This high quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of this magazine. So if you want to join in on the fun, you will need to subscribe. And to do that, all you got to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. KingCast listeners, we're in the family. We're part of the Fangoria Podcast Network. So we can extend to you a discount code that will give you a whopping 25% off your order. And that is simply use the code KingCast at checkout.
1: Now with all that said, let's get on with the show. (laughs) My name is Stephen King.
0: The ice is gonna break! Bad luck, Bad love! <laughs> you guys to
1: go see a dead body? Well, sometimes, that is is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler.
0: And I'm Eric Vespy.
1: And we are your hosts. Folks, we get a lot of guest requests here at the KingCast. Not a day goes by where someone doesn't email us or tag us on Twitter asking that we get this person or that person on the show. And today's guest is probably one of the most oft requested in KingCast history. Finally, you can stop demanding that we get him on the show. Uh, for more than 20 years, he has been the frontman of Ice Nine Kills, a band which wears its extensive horror inspirations on its sleeve. Over three EPs and six full-length studio albums, Ice Nine Kills has only grown in popularity in its two most recent albums, The Silver Scream and The Silver Scream 2, Welcome to Horrorwood, have inspired a full-blown horror convention of the same name in Massachusetts, where the KingCast will be appearing this coming Friday. Today, he's here to talk to us about Silver Scream Con, the Stephen King stories that have influenced Ice Nine Kills' work, and George Romero's Immortal Creep Show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Spencer Charnis. Spencer, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing amazing. Glad to be joining you guys. Yes, uh, indeed. Yeah.
1: I want I'm to not just blowing. King. S- I'm not just blowing smoke in that intro either. People have been telling us we need to get a hold of you for quite some time now. And, yeah, pretty uh, much since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah you guys I'm are
2: going to so. be very disappointed. I don't know <laughs> why they've been hyping <laughs> me. Out. I'm really not that cool, but I appreciate the fanfare.
1: Yeah. Um. Wh- I think the we would have asked sooner if we had a direct line to you, but uh, <laughs> Eric and I both come from. More of a more of a film background than a music industry background. So, our Rolodex is real deep on the movie side, but in terms of getting in touch with musicians, hmm. there's another guy that that people have been asking for who's like a wrestler, and I'm like, I wouldn't know where the fuck to even begin. <laughs> right, is that that. Chris, Jer- Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. I-, I can. Wayne Rock Johnson. I feel now. I don't think it's either of them because it's
0: like a Robert name I'm Taker. not familiar with. <laughs> Oh, I got all no, these
2: people on, on my Rolodex. So whatever you need, I got their home oh, addresses. Perfect. We'll,
0: we'll hit you up. We'll definitely get the undertaker. We can't, uh,
1: Andre, the giant.
0: Yeah. We obviously. can't get Paul bearer anymore, unfortunately, but oh, the undertaker, we can, we could do it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's,
1: let's talk a little bit about, uh, silver Screen con. Um, you have, from, I guess my first question is wh- why did you choose to locate this convention in Danvers, Massachusetts?
2: Being a New England guy, being from the North shore, uh, being, uh, someone who grew up so close to Salem, the New England vibe, the New England fall season always really played a big part in my love of, of horror. Mm -hmm. Um, and that dates all the way back to like the early nineties for me, uh, and, and places like spooky world, you know, that, that horror uh, sort of amusement park or screen park, whatever you you will call it, played such a, um, an important role in, in my love hmm. of the horror genre, and um, growing up, and then going to things like Rock and Shock, which was the big convention, the big horror convention mm-hmm. in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, and you know, being the first time really experiencing a horror convention was there. It just seemed like the right place to do it you know that's where the band comes from that's where we started uh and it just felt like we got to do it in massachusetts
1: right on fucking yeah. we uh we we uh have not done a show in boston we've we've taken the show around um the country and but not in boston we dr- we drove through there when we <laughs> did an event up in uh, bangor maine last year and uh i had like a fucking meltdown Uh, on the highway because (laughs) I saw what remains of the Kirkbride building from session nine, right off the highway in Danvers. Um, Have you, are are you familiar with that movie? Uh,
2: I didn't know that that was filmed there. You're teaching me something.
1: Really? Yeah. They, um, that's a pretty wild story. Like the, the director, Brad Anderson, he, he like hooked up with some like urban explorer types and went and explored the building. Like, long before it had been turned into condos or whatever they've done with it now. Um, back when it was, you know, still mostly intact falling apart, but mostly intact. And he, he wanted to, he wanted to write a movie set there. And then once he got inside and took, had a look at it, he was like, Oh, holy shit. We gotta, we gotta film this thing here. And somehow got the township to sign off on them actually filming at the location as dangerous as it was. And, uh, I don't know. That movie is probably like the best documentation of what the interior of that building looked like before it was, you know, mostly my understanding is that most of it's gone and it's it's just condos now with some of the facade remaining. So uh, that's one of the like little touristy things I want to do while we're uh, while we're up there. I'm a huge Session Nine fan
2: that is awesome i'm a big fan of of movie uh filming location spots that's what i do um when we're if we have like an off day somewhere i'm always trying to find you know what was filmed here a a few days ago i had a a couple off days in austin texas and you know i'm a horror fan but i'm also just a movie fan so i was Going around to the days and confused spots, and right going to top notch, yeah. top notch yeah. great burger spot, and even office space was filmed there. So I found in a tech. Oh yeah? I, the, yeah, I found yeah, I found and, the building and the ditch from that like that great shot,
0: that <laughs> wide shot. Yeah,
2: Markowski is like falling over.
0: <laughs> you, you know, there's another great one around here. I don't know if you're um, much of a, a, a Christopher Guest fan, but if you go out oh, to yeah, Lockhart, like they they shot. Which which one was it that Gof- they shot out there? Was it Goffman? It was. It was waiting for Goffman. I took No a, shit. I t- I took my friend uh Steve Agee out there for barbecue and and like we're walking and he just much like Scott when we were driving he driving up to to Maine like suddenly scott goes oh my god oh my god oh my god there's blah blah blah. like that it was one of those like we were just having a conversation then it goes instantly up to 11 ag did that and he's like that's the staircase that that uh oh, christopher, christopher guest walks down that's the building <laughs> oh my god and he like that's pulls out awesome. his camera and starts taking pictures i'm like oh yeah and i'm like in my mind i'm so used to it. i'm like oh yeah i remember hearing that that shot over here <laughs> red know?
2: white and blame
0: man yeah I'm all
2: about
0: it. <laughs> it was it was government but yeah no i Austin's really good for, for that kind of stuff, but I got to tell you, New England uh, just can't be beat for the movie location stuff because so much of it hasn't changed. Like uh, I did, or maybe it has now, but like I did a road trip in in 2001 up there, and it was my first time in New England, and I did the, I went to, like in New Jersey, I went to the the Friday the 13th camp site, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess now is a Boy Scout camp, and so me and my- Bosco.
2: Camp Nobebasco. I've yep. been I've been thrown mm-hmm. out of that camp a few times. Oh yeah, well,
0: yes, I got kicked out too. Me and my friends were like walking up, and I guess they're just used to it. They're like, "No, no horror nerds, uh, get the fuck out of here. This is a Boy Scout camp now. Um, <laughs> you, you are not allowed here." But what was like really insane was like the little town around there. Like from mm-hmm. from the very beginning of the first Friday the Thirteenth, is like before they even get to the camp, it's uh, like that area like is all unchanged. You go to Martha's Vineyard, it's still Amity from Jaws, right? It's like. Uh, I, I I tried to go to the um, or I wanted to go to the sleepaway camp uh, campsite, but I think I got a little discouraged after uh, I went to the, the Boy Scout camp and got immediately turned around or turned away. But uh, but yeah, New England's great about that kind of stuff. Or, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's a lived in history there. You know,
2: absolutely. I, I, I know that uh that Macaulay Culkin movie where he plays a bad guy. The, uh, good, the son. good son. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was filmed in Marblehead. Uh, at least partially, which is I grew up right next to Marblehead and uh, Salem, obviously Hocus Pocus. Some of the uh, exterior shots are filmed there. Of course, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I just love that kind of stuff. Um, when we were in Toronto a couple weeks back, geeked out over the American Psycho stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. everywhere from, you know, Pierce, and Pierce to Pierce to the bar they go to to the dry cleaners. I went to all of those spots. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And we a... rec- we recreated the scene at the bar with the bathroom and everything. It's a, <laughs> we're, we're, we'll post that eventually. But uh, I mean, we we decked. We went. We we went wearing suits before the show. Like we we really did this <laughs> up right. And it, was the, it was definitely the coolest. Like pre-show drink we've ever had you know we're just chilling there and We're like you know what ed gein said about uh a, a woman. uh ed gein at the canal part no serial killer like we were just going off <laughs> and this woman who was just you know having a you know a little mai tai or something right next to us was thinking what what the fuck are these guys <laughs> talking about who are these people so it was pretty funny
1: in your travels uh, checking out these different you know filming locations is there Is there one that sort of looms larger than the rest that you were particularly fond of or excited to uh, lay eyes on for yourself?
2: Man, I mean, the American Psycho one for sure. Um, But probably the coolest uh, filming location I've ever had the experience of being at. And I think it's just because of the... um, sort of uh freedom we had at the location because we mm-hmm. became friends with the people was the house from the end of Scream 1 Stu's oh, house. Really? Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. we did a uh a actually performed acoustically in the garage at the house. Oh, where, that's Brad. Uh Rose McGowan gets, you know, killed in the garage <laughs> right. door. Uh we did this event there uh, Scream Comes Home where it was just basically like this weekend at the house which is exactly like it is in the film you know right down to every detail in terms of like you know the painting on like the painting of like the little um artwork on the tiles of the bath uh, of the kitchen like you know where they're stabbing each other um you know i slept in the they gave us the the bed where like you know sydney loses her virginity (laughs) to billy loomis like that was the bed that i can sleep on it was just like one of those things where Holy shit! We're at this house, and we became friends with the property manager. So, a few months later, when we had a show in San Francisco with a day off, they're just like, "Just come up and hang out at the house." So we drew, drove up to you know Santa Rosa area, Tamales, California, and just just hung at the house all day. It was just it, it was very crazy. As, as someone who saw a Scream in the in the theater, yeah, and is just like such a big fan of that movie, it was it was absolutely crazy. Be do you house.
1: have a preferred horror franchise i
2: mean it's it, it's so hard you know obviously the mount sure. rushmore friday the 13th halloween nightmare on elm street mm-hmm. um those are my favorite those are the favorite ones that everyone knows but you know i really like the deeper cut stuff too like you know silent night deadly night like i mm-hmm. love that franchise especially one and two and uh, <laughs> i'm so stoked that we have the killers both Robert yeah. Ryan Wilson, and Eric Freeman at the Silver Scream Con this year. Garbage me, day. let's
1: do it. Yeah, your lineup at the convention is is pretty is pretty strong. Um Hard I mean,
0: it's up. got us, so <clears> of <throat> course it's going to yeah. be strong.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you got uh, Tony Todd's going to be out there, Tom Savini, Joe Bob Briggs is coming out. Uh this is a this is a strong collection of people for the horror community. We were very excited to be asked to be a, to be a part of that. So we're really looking forward to it.
2: We're stoked to have you guys there. Uh, And we are just so excited to be doing this again, you know, uh, having the sequel last year went so well. And speaking with uh, the brass behind the convention, I guess, you know, two, three weeks out from the convention, we've already sold more tickets than the entirety of last year's uh, convention. It's so KingCast king
0: bump, baby. Just it's all. <laughs> it's totally honest. I was going to
2: say it's only because of you guys. We saw a huge ticket spike right when we announced. <laughs> like, we saw like five hundred tickets a minute as soon as the KingCast was announced.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that always that always happens. Yeah, yeah it's, it's our good to Be the king. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: Do you have any recommendations, by the way, in the uh I say the Salem area for uh, like uh, a good bar, maybe or a a good restaurant? Well, are bigger? you guys are
2: you guys meat eaters or? or <clears throat> oh sure. Oh yeah. Okay, so. I'll give you this tip so the North Shore of Boston which is like you know the entire area Danvers Salem Mm -hmm. Swampscott Marblehead uh, Beverly there is a sandwich it's a very specific sandwich it's a roast beef sandwich and what the way that I prefer to have it is three-way it's a roast beef sandwich with barbecue sauce mayo and cheese Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, it's just absolutely incredible. So I'll give you guys the best places to go for that sandwich. Yes. Nick's Roast Beef is my favorite, which is in Beverly. Um, and then there's some other great ones around the area. But that's my suggestion for you guys. Very um, good. I, I love and it. And also, as, uh, if you're looking for horror type stuff in Salem, uh, Count Orlock's Nightmare Gallery is a really, really cool wax museum with unbelievable uh, wax sculptures, including, you know, a bunch of stuff from the Stephen King world is a really cool, uh, uh, carry, uh, display. Um, there's great it ones, you know, from the 1990 and the modern one, there's just a lot of great stuff. Um, pet cemetery. Uh, so check that out.
1: Oh, that's Brad. I, I, I didn't know that was there. I've been to Salem before. Um, and did, you know, like the witch museum and that kind of shit while I was there. Uh, which is a really fucking weird joint, by the way, like <laughs> you sit weird. in, you sit in like a big room and then there's dioramas, you know, like room size dioramas all the way around the room. And then, you know, the lights go out and then someone, you know, a narrator comes on and one by one, they all kind of light up. And, uh, it's, it's like a janky Disney world hall of presidents sort of thing, almost <laughs> yeah. only about witch burning. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, an interesting experience. Don't know that I need to do it twice though. Right. So, uh, but you got to do it once,
0: like as kitschy as it yeah. is. if you've if you've ever been in Salem and you've never, or you're planning on going to Salem and you've never do, done it, I would highly recommend it. Just you just have to. It's kind of like a rite of passage. You can't pass through that place as a right. horror fan or a, a cult fan <clears> or <throat> any of that kind of thing, and and not not give the witch museum your sixteen dollars and you know watch uh, some animatronics getting. Uh, uh, rocks piled on top of them, or whatever, as they're slowly crushed to death. Yeah,
2: it's definitely a cool. It's a cool place, a cool community. Yeah. Um, it is kind of funny though. We we used to uh, sell Ice Nine Kills merchandise at like the flea markets that we, they would have during the October season, like outside. It was like this whole thing where we. would... Erect a tent, and then this company—I I can't remember what they're called. I think it's Creative Collective. They hated Ice Nine Kills so much, they hated our imagery, they hated everything about it, that they like banned us from from selling any merchandise in Salem during like the October <laughs> months. So, like a couple years ago, we went to set up, and like we we got like an approved uh, permit from the town and stuff. Yeah, and they they like. They basically set us up so that they told us that they were going to give us the permit, but then they revoked it right after City <laughs> Hall closed, so that we couldn't go and take the permit. You're like, what the hell is going on? They showed up with like like police officers to get us off of the ground. So. I guess they haven't <laughs> learned anything from the Salem witch trials. You know, they're just, they're...
0: do you think that organization is run by uh Dean Koontz fans that are just upset that you <laughs> haven't done Dean Koontz as many Dean Koontz songs as you have Stephen King?
2: I think it's Dean Koontz. I think it's the people behind the West Memphis three. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Rush, yeah. Rush to judgment. From, yeah. From um, Arkansas.
0: They went all the way yeah. over there just for it. Yeah, for sure. They're,
2: they're trying, <laughs> but Hey, I guess it just, it makes us seem, you know, more uh, uh, elusive and, and scary, I guess. Sure, but, yeah. It, Good fun. for the
0: mystique, right? Exactly. We're yeah, so yeah. It's funny, We're so it's so badass. <laughs> it's funny you bring up the West Memphis three thing. Cause the only recommendation for any place I've ever gotten is Damian Eccles recommended a place Cause he moved to Salem shortly after, you know, uh, uh, getting out of prison, getting off of death row. And he was just like, yeah, you have to go. There's great pancakes at this one little <laughs> hole in the wall place. And I was just like, Oh great. And I went there the first time I went to Salem. So I did the witch museum. Then I went there and it was hilarious. Cause there were people like dressed as witches in like full witch makeup and everything and they were just sitting there eating their like you know grits and shit you know and having a conversation and i'm just like this is the absolute like <laughs> best it, i i don't know why maybe it's like the 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 dad in me but i just love that kitsch kitschy shit so much oh
2: absolutely what, what was the so pancake much. place by the way i need to reds yeah
0: reds? i was, oh, I was yeah. like oh red barn maybe i'm like no yeah reds it's red it's absolutely sandwich reds. shop yeah that's a great breakfast
2: spot yeah um, clearly damien Eccles has a refined palette if he's sending you to reds i like that guy
0: yes yeah uh no good good dude uh he came on the show very early on and in, in the show's run by the way and uh, yeah he, he had wild. A, a, just like an incredible point of view because you know this is a dude like where they actually actively used the fact that they found stephen king books in his room as a right. reason why he could feasibly murder children you know I forgot and got uh, that which
2: which Stephen King books did they find i now i remember cuz this is from um paradise lost
0: right yes yes mm-hmm. uh i don't remember the titles maybe he,
1: i know i brought I it think up when pet cemetery out. was one of them now
0: yeah cuz there was right. something where it's like yeah in this king book you know there's a dead kid or somebody a kid dies or so it was yeah. some weird tie into it so pet cemetery sounds good but he like his chosen topic when he came on was uh, he wanted to talk about the dark tower and how reading and rereading the dark tower specifically the gunslinger uh was something one of the few things that he had to keep him sane while he was on death row and uh like i'm so glad that he had that you know and i'm so glad that he's out now but uh but yeah that's our our weird uh kind of tie-in to to salem you know outside of just kind of driving through it when we were going to to bangor uh last year i'm excited to get to spend some time there so uh yeah so thanks a ton for, for the invite and giving us the excuse to, uh, to come up and hang out with all you, you, uh, weirdos up there. Yes. So I think,
1: um, I think that's, we, we should ask, ask you, Spencer, what is your, uh, what is your Stephen King origin story? When did you first become aware of our show's namesake?
2: Of, of you? Oh, okay. Of the podcast or of Stephen oh, King in general?
1: No. Stephen King in general. Yes.
2: So the hey, don't origin, worry about us. Yeah, yeah. The origin of that goes back to the same way that I got into horror uh, when my mom would go grocery shopping at the local stop and shop in mm-hmm. in Swampscott, Salem, Massachusetts area. There was a video store within the supermarket, and that was a common thing I think with with stop and shops, at least in New England. There would be like a little video store within the supermarket and to kill time while my mom was shopping, she would let me go and hang out in the video store. And I was just drawn to the horror aisle for whatever reason, probably because of the cover art of the VHS cassettes. Mm -hmm. And um, whether it was the original Halloween with the pumpkin or Friday the 13th with the silhouette, some of the ones that really stuck in my brain were the Stephen King ones. It was creep show. That that guy at that you know the 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 Grim Reaper, the the, the skeleton looking dude, the the mascot of that franchise, mm-hmm. if you will, at the ticket booth. Yeah, that image stuck to me. It the nineteen ninety one stuck to mm-hmm. me with the, with, with uh, Tim Curry, and then you yeah. see, seeing that his hands were monster hands. Right. Um. Those the all were, white cover and, and yes.
0: everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Those were a couple of the ones that stuck out to me. That stood out to me. And uh, I became aware of Stephen King because of that and saw those movies and Pet Cemetery long before I read the books, you know, because I was a little kid and I probably could read, but, you know, I, I don't know if I could, you know, dive into it when I was six. You know, <laughs> right. like such a big book. Um, so the way that I became aware of Stephen King was 100% through the movie adaptations right. first when I was a little, little kid.
1: So your parents were pretty permissive in terms of horror movies when you were a kid
2: they were they were pretty cool about it It took a little convincing um but they were very cool about letting me see them um i remember my parents weren't like huge horror movie fans but uh the story that they always told me that stuck out to me was that they they went to see invasion of the body snatchers in 1978 when they were uh pregnant with my my older sister jocelyn and they got to the movie theater, and uh, it was a double feature. And there was a movie playing before Invasion called Halloween, and they never heard of it or anything. And <laughs> they said it was the scariest shit they've ever seen, and that it made <laughs> body snatchers seem like so tame in mm-hmm. comparison. And uh, I, th- that was like the first reminder that I that I had about my parents being aware of horror. And I said, oh, well, you guys saw Halloween. I can see it too. So that was the first one they let me see, and then obviously – I thought I'd grow out of it. And 30 years later, I'm on a podcast talking about Stephen King. So clearly (laughs) I did not.
1: It's interesting to imagine a time where you could just go to a theater and not really have any Mm -hmm. clue what a movie is beyond the title. I feel like that's borderline impossible now with like just the saturation of like marketing campaigns and shit like that. I feel like I've seen, half of the movies that are in theaters before I've actually seen them because you know these marketing campaigns that like start up a fucking year in advance and just beat you over the head with every plot point seemingly so that's
2: I try, I agree and I try to be very militant about what I allow myself to see like mm-hmm. before seeing uh, Halloween Ends or Halloween Kills I did not watch a single trailer I would run out of the room every time <laughs> something happened like at any time any of those movies was advertised because i wanted to see all the scares all the imagery i didn't want to have any of it ruined so if there's Mm -hmm. a movie i'm really looking forward to going to see i don't watch the trailer
0: Mm. i had a friend who spent a whole year he just like made a, a pact like from january 1st to december 31st of one year he's like i will watch no trailers so he would when we'd go to the movies, some, he would like close his eyes and plug his ears or leave the theater while the trailers were going. Uh, if, you know, something came up on TV, he'd look at his phone like no TV spots, no trailers. Uh, and he said that he enjoyed so many more movies that year um, because he didn't have that that thing, that feeling of like, oh, I, all the best parts were in the trailer. Like he got to discover them as they were intended. Which is fascinating. I don't have the self-discipline to do something uh, no. like that. I love, uh, you know, I've always loved trailers. Like I have a th- bit of a uh, 35 millimeter collection and like, you know, some of my favorite things to collect and put together are trailer reels and, you know, that are themed and stuff. I love trailers. I love advertisements, um, but I love is-
2: trailers too. But I feel like there was that, like, there was a point in time where they started to give away too much exactly. and then I can't take it.
0: Yeah. Like
1: Back the- in the day, you'd get trailers where they're, they'd film something just for the trailer, yeah. you know, or that. it would be, you know, more impressionistic or less plot driven sometimes. You know, the- yeah, not all of them, but but more so than they are today. Some of these fucking trailers are like three minutes long. Come on now, it,
0: it is ridiculous, awful. If you go back and watch a lot of those trailers for seventies and eighties and, uh, uh, movies, though, you'll you'll see they had the exact same problem, and they'll like literally, they'll even they were almost worse. The ones that 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 did this back then, in a way, because they they were linear, so it'd be like. And then here's the beginning of the movie. Here's the next step of the movie. Here's and then here's a shot to tease the end of the <laughs> movie or whatever. Whereas now you like, you'll get these these spoilery shots. But like in a context that you don't realize it's from the very end of the movie. You know, I don't know. Uh, it's always been a, an issue. Uh, I don't think it's a good thing. I want to be perfectly clear on that. But I do have a, a big soft spot for for old trailers in particular. Um, oh, me
2: too. I love I love I love seeing the old 80s like my bloody valentine trailers or the Mm -hmm. mutilator i I just love how how offensive they are
0: (laughs) yeah no and you get that percy rodriguez voiceover so he was like the trailer voice guy before mr movie voice from like the 90s the in the in a world guy in a world it's like like, this is the guy who did like the jaws trailer uh he was an actor he had this great voice uh and it was like this low gravelly voice and he went to what if the devil created a monster and gave him <laughs> jaws, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I do. I miss, I miss it. There's a bit of a showman aspect to those trailers that, that now we don't get anymore. Now everything's focus group to the nth degree of every single frame is going to be something that can be, you know, pulled apart on, on YouTube or memed on TikTok or some shit. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. not really, you know, I don't know. It, it seems a little bit inauthentic to me now. Um,
1: So what kind of, what kind of King reader are you, Spencer? Like after you stopped being six years old and you could read some of these bigger, bigger uh, books, like, like it and what have you, um, you read all of them, you read some of them. Like what, what level are you operating
2: at? I would say a pretty, pretty medium. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the, the ones that we've covered on our albums that, you know, the first one we did was Carrie. I believe that was the first one I ever read. And to me, it was such a, because I was so young when like, and some of them were, I I think probably published before I was born. Right. What, what year was Carrie? 74. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was born in 85. So it was like a ritual to be able to be old enough um, to read the book, the book of the movie that I love, because obviously it's not exactly the same and there are differences from the book to the movie. And it, it became like. An event to me, and I still want to go back and 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 read more of them. But I've read all the ones that we've covered in terms of movies: Carrie, it, Pet Cemetery, um, and I, the one that I want to read next that I that isn't horror related, but I've just heard so much about is the JFK one. No, oh, yeah, that I, I'm told is oh, incredible. Man,
1: yeah. yeah, that um, one's really good. Eleven twenty two sixty three. Yes. He, He's, we do a thing on this show uh, for our Patreon that's called like King by the Decade. And we've been, we roll out a new installment of it every, I don't know, six months uh, or so. And we just like look at an entire decade's worth of his output. And, you know, ultimately we're trying to determine what the best decade is. The early aughts, real rough. There's uh, some clangers in there that that just uh, aren't as good as as a lot of his other stuff. But From about 2010 or so on, he's just been on this fucking wild kick and just really kicking ass. Um, 1122, 63 is certainly one of those. And there's another book. I don't know if you've read it, but I would strongly recommend it to you. And I think it could inspire one hell of a song. And that is uh, Revival. Um, That's a book that we recommend to virtually everyone that comes on this show. It's it's sort of... uh, I don't know the like an undersung novel in in King's uh, body of work that just didn't really get a lot of attention. But for my money, the scariest thing he's written since fucking it, probably just terrifying ending on that book. Um, So
2: I remember Needful Things. mm -hmm. Uh, I remember that that must have been in the early 90s, right?
1: Yeah, like 93 ish, 92, somewhere in there.
2: I remember just being at my my grandmother's house in uh in Florida in Boca and she had just a great collection of Stephen King books. And I remember that was one that 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 stuck out that I that I snuck and took to the beach. I don't know if they were gonna let me read that one. Um but you know, I again it it a lot of it for me because I'm such a visual, visually driven person, it, it, it comes down to the cover art. You know, I remember that book had such a a great cover and, um, Kujar, I remember being attracted to, um, that, I think that was one of the only books of King that I read before I saw the movie. Um, and then, so that was an interesting experience doing it the opposite way of Mm -hmm. how I had done all the other ones. Um, but like, you know, for me, it's like going back. and and reading the Bret Easton Ellis American psycho after seeing the film, it's such a a cool experience to get that other perspective um, to get um, to get the story in a way that wasn't, you know, um, as you said, or you put a focus group, like to make it as marketable as possible. Um, It's fun to, to, to see both sides of the coin. And I think some films got it better than, than others in terms of paying it, yeah, uh, paying tribute to the book
1: and certainly in certainly in the case of american psycho the you if you read the if you saw the movie and then read the book you'd fucking lose your mind like the the book is so much gnarlier than the than the uh the movie ever ever could have possibly been you know if they filmed that thing like word for word someone would get executed on the steps of the yeah. Capitol for obscenity dude.
2: yeah it's pretty it's pretty uh it's pretty out there in terms of the graphic nature. Um, yeah,
1: for sure. So, um, you you mentioned being visually driven a moment ago, and uh, one thing we did want to make time to talk about while you're here is the uh, Pet Cemetery inspired music video that you've done. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, w- did you know you like how did how did it come together? You know, walk walk us through the process of a Stephen King music video.
2: Absolutely. Uh, when we did our song "Funeral Derangements," we knew that we had to to do something wild for the music video. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that that movie is one of the best adaptations of his work. There is just something so um, disturbing, especially uh, with with that scene where little Gage dies. Like right. I, I see that part, and still I get chills, and I am disturbed by how that was filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to do something that really, that really paid tribute to it. And, uh, one of the ideas that I had, um, that was just sort of a stab in the dark and just kind of like, a, I mean, it's never going to actually happen is that I've always been a big Miko Hughes fan who played little gauge in, in the, the movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. I loved him in, uh, West Craven's new nightmare, like uh, in kindergarten when he has that you know famous line, a kindergarten you know, boys, cop, right? Yeah, yeah, kindergarten cop. Boys have penis, girls have vagina. Like uh, it, to me, that kid just always stuck out to me. It's like, how is this kid so aware of himself at such <laughs> a young age to be able to deliver lines like that? Or just, I was always just enamored with that because as a little kid, like I wanted to be an actor. I never really went out for it, but he always impressed me. So mm-hmm. I was like, let's get miko hughes in this video somehow let's see wouldn't it be cool if he played the truck driver that's killing our gauge <laughs> and so um my friend sean clark who, who represents a lot of people in the the convention world i reach out to him because i said if anyone would know him it's probably sean and within like 20 minutes the whole thing was set up miko loved the idea <laughs> And he came out to uh, like Lancaster, California, to this like little farmhouse. Um, and it was just surreal having him on set, and he was so uh, good to work with, and he was a great driver. Like he drove he actually drove the truck and had to drive the truck fast over the camera. You know, this is like a you know what a fifty sixty thousand dollars, eighty thousand dollars camera and not destroy it. So he just turned out to be like his triple threat of like being a great actor. <laughs> being a cool dude to hang out with and being like a stunt driver. And so it was just one of those things like, is this really happening? And, uh, you know, our, our fan base is really into the little Easter eggs and the little details. And uh, it seemed like they really appreciated that that cameo, that we went to that length to do something that really involved um, the history of something behind how one of his best adaptations was made. Uh, so I'm so, so excited that that, that that made it in there.
1: Do you happen to know if Mary Lambert has seen it?
2: I don't. I I hope that we would get her, her stamp of approval. Have you guys ever had her on or?
1: No, 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 we've, we've we've kind of made inquiries and uh, never heard anything back. So, um, you know, we're big fans, but uh, I don't know. I, I kind of, I have no, I mean, there's never been a response. So it's, it's not like I have any hints to go on, but just as a gut feeling, I kind of suspect that maybe she's just done talking about Pet Cemetery.
2: Well, two of my favorite uh, horror movies are directed by women named Mary, right? Her for obviously Pet Cemetery, Mm -hmm. Mary Heron for American Psycho. So there's something in there with, with, with great.
1: There's something about Mary. (laughs) There's something about
2: Mary. I don't know if it's a Ben Stiller thing, Um, but uh, I hope she would approve it. I know that um, I think Mary Heron has seen it or the, the, the um, Guinevere who, who co-wrote yeah, the screenplay of him yes she I know she has seen it because we have a mutual friend and she really liked it and we even got uh, Brad Easton Ellis's approval on our, our music video and song because we had a mutual friend and I guess he really liked he really liked our hip to be scared <laughs> tribute to American Psycho
0: Oh, that's Brad. Ah yes, it's time for the mid-roll ad read, and we have our friends over at Lumi Labs back once again sponsoring this episode. So, if you're a longtime listener, you've heard us wax poetic about our love for Lumi Labs and their THC gummies. Uh, but let me give you the spiel again: they are the kings of micro dosing, which is when you take a little bit of THC, or in this case, a synthetic THC strain. You take a little bit throughout the day, and it keeps you nice and chill and this thing it works wonders for me personally i use it more as a as a sleep aid cuz i have trouble getting to bed uh, at a reasonable human hour and uh, you know when i don't have trouble getting to bed is when i pop a couple of these things and i'm just relaxed ready to fall asleep and that's kind of the whole The whole point of these, it's not, they're not meant to get you to, I don't know, be out of your mind, you know, high, walking around, seeing shit that isn't there. That's not what these things are for, babies. These things are for your relaxation and comfort. And I can say that that works for me. And they've worked a charm. You know, I've tried a lot of things. I've tried melatonin. I've tried, you know, I'm staying away from the prescription uh, sleep meds. Those things freak me out. The thing that I've had the most success with here are these Lumi gummies. Um, they're aimed at helping you to relax. It works for me. And the best part about it is that these THC gummies, they're available nationwide and aren't affected by your state's marijuana laws because they use that synthetic THC strain. To learn more about microdosing, you can go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, use the code KingCast and you'll save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. Again, that's microdose.com code Kingcast. Very well, Eric, and I am here to uh, tell
1: the people about our other sponsor on this week's episode, which is Scape's Action Figure Displays. Uh, We here at the KingCast are huge collectors of pop culture memorabilia, and that's why we need you all to check out the creations made by Scape's Action Figure Displays on Etsy. This shop has a major selection of movie and action figure accessories, from Damaged Skulls to Light Up Kryptonite, from Pennywise to the Terminator, from Batman to Bane, you have to see for yourself what this shop has to offer.
0: Vespi, yes.
1: Do you have a Batman or super or a Superman action figure?
0: Well, I would, but a child keeps kicking it under my bed. So God damn
1: it. You're you're getting ahead of the script. <laughs> Folks, do you have a Batman or a Superman action figure? Are they just packed away in a storage container or perhaps kicked under the bed by a child? Don't do that to Batman. Secure his fate as the overseer of justice with the Batman rooftop action figure display. Do you have a copy of The Shining all alone on the shelf? Well, add the red rum door to add character to your library. The Pennywise, quote, in the sewer, end quote, is also nothing to chuckle at. See all of these items and more, including costumes and digital art at se.com backslash shop backslash scapes figures. Or you can search for action figure displays on Etsy, your number one place for customer made items. Once again, that is etsy.com backslash shop backslash scapes figures. And while checking out, be sure to use the code King 15 for 15% off your order.
0: Nice. We're getting discount codes left and right in the mid-roll. That's how we do, baby. But I think it's time yeah. to get back into our chat with Mr. Spencer Charnas about Creepshow. let it. Let's do, do it. So I think it might be a good time now to journey into the world of creep show. This is always a really fascinating uh, title to talk about. Cause I've noticed in the history, we've covered this a few times in the uh, three ish, three plus years that we've been doing the show. And every time we've had somebody do it, it's never one of those like, well, I could talk about this. Oh, it's fine. It's always somebody goes, and then this thing changed my life. It's like, it's the, the person, the people who pick it, like, either Creepshow or even Creepshow 2 for whatever reason that this aesthetic if that this anthology ec style horror it either goes right over people's heads or it becomes one of the most important things that they've seen like the way you were talking about Creepshow when we were settling on the title leads me to believe you're in the in that camp where you're like this this was a, a massive massively influential and important movie to me and maybe we can start out talking about why like why, why the title and, and why is it such a, a big deal to you?
2: Absolutely. And I, I think for starters, it was probably one of the first things I ever was aware of that Stephen King had anything to do with. And obviously the, the tie-in that not only was Stephen King, but it was George Romero too. Yeah. Like there was something so beautiful. I think about their um, chemistry about Romero directing something that King wrote that, when I first saw it, I don't think I was aware of how cool that team up was. Like I knew what night of the living dead was, but you know, I was so young that I didn't really understand that cultural, impact of that film or really who George Romero was, you know, I knew that he was tied to it, but I didn't understand. So coming back and looking at it, it's like, no shit, this is so incredible. You know, you have two people (laughs) at the mast, you know, at the sort of the apex of their careers getting together and and making this thing that to me displayed two of my favorite things, which are horror and comedy and the way that they intertwine them so beautifully to me was just this magical thing. And um, I think the the thing that really caught my attention at first was I was a huge Naked Gun fan. Uh-huh. I love yeah. Leslie Nielsen. I loved him in airplane, but Naked Gun, yeah. like that entire yeah. series to me is, is just so great. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I still laugh out loud at, at those movies and seeing him, because i i i had seen naked gun before i had seen creep show seeing him do horror just kind of blew my mind because it brought those two worlds that i love so much together for the first time like i was like seeing someone that i only had thought of as a comedic actor even though now knowing that he was a, a, a very serious actor before that but that was so much before my time right. i didn't know mm-hmm. anything about that so seeing him come together in the world of horror and I, whether it's supposed to be funny or not, some of those parts just when he's went off, like, like just the yeah. way <laughs> his delivery is and, and, and how he's like so scared by the end that he's gone mad and is like laughing. He's mm-hmm. so scared. Um, that really spoke to me and it just became like sort of a, a lifelong fascination uh, of how horror and comedy can, can go hand in hand so beautifully. If, if done right. Right. Um,
0: do, yeah. Do you think that's your favorite segment? The uh, yes. Oh yeah. Like I, absolutely. By, by far. By far.
2: It... I'm. By far. Like I. I. You know. I love the crate. I love. Um, uh, they creeping up on you. I think is what it's called. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I was never. Honestly, you know. I'm just being honest. I was never a really huge fan of the first segment. of Father's
1: yeah. Day. I'm with you. I yeah. Don't we, we've know. talked about
0: that. It, it feels very slight. It has a great uh, punchline, like a great final image. Uh, but yeah, it is. It, uh, well, it has a great final image, and it has Ed Harris disco dancing, which you know right. automatically gives another right. star onto you know whatever your review is of it. But but yeah, it is. It's it's oddly it's feels not right memorable. To me. it's, it's not, yeah. not yeah. satisfying.
1: Yeah, like yeah, I would, it's just I would a even, weak way to open. I yeah, I, and I would push back on it having a great punchline. I think it, I think you're right that the final image in that segment yeah. is great. Um, that's like straight out of EC Comics, right? Right. But the punchline itself, the payoff to that story is is kind of weak. The the dad comes back and he wants his cake. Yeah. That's it. You know, like it, it doesn't it, when you look at it, you compare this to other EC comics inspired stuff like you know, Tales from the Crypt, for instance. You know, you're getting a much more definitive twist and it kind of fe- you, you know, you feel like you you watch someone get their come up and I don't I don't think the the first segment in Creepshow really sticks that landing very well. I, th- mm-hmm. I I agree. I think it's the the weakest of the bunch.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. It, it really is the final final uh, image for me. Like that the image mm-hmm. of the corpse holding the platter with her head on it, and he's got candles and shit. You know, it's like he got his cake. You know, and the the way that it transitions, and it's one of the first times we see it transition from live action to to the the comic book page. Mm-hmm like always stood out to me. Um, So it's got a great panel, I guess is what I can say about that first (laughs) one. Uh, A great, great closing panel, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I I have little issues with that one. I have a little issues with the crate. Like, I think the crate is a really gleefully fun, Uh, concept of this dude that has just the worst fucking wife ever, you know, and you're always in his head, but it's one that seems to go on for about 70 minutes too long. You know, we can only get through so many, uh, uh, Hal Holbrook's thinking about like what, how his wife should die and, and all this stuff. They do that like fucking four or five times in the, you know, throughout that segment. So it sounds like right now we're focusing on all the negative stuff, but I just wanted to get it out of the way early. Like this is those those are the issues, the main issues I have with with those stories. But even as a kid, like you know, I thought Fluffy was was cool as fuck, and the design was cool as hell, and I love the idea of there just being some random like monster that you know can survive and live for decades in a crate. You know, I don't know. There's lots of really awesome, fun things in there, and I, I think that you can attribute that to both Romero and. King's just adoration for the comic books that drove the square parents of the fifties, you know, uh, up a fucking wall. And I
2: think also visually, uh, you touched on something that, that reminded me of something else that, yeah. that, um, transition from the real world to the comic book world with that lighting yeah. that, that like, you know, the red light that would, yeah. that would, would shine on or the green or whatever it was, that was the first thing I, first time I ever saw anything like that, like way before, like you know, um, Roger Rabbit when the like mm-hmm. the melding of those two worlds. I don't know yeah. if that actually was before. I don't think it was before this. Um, no, it was,
0: yeah, it was after. Yeah,
2: because this is eighty two, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That I think subconsciously also had an um, an effect on me because so much of what we do with our music videos is how to get in and out of. Either a book, whether it was our album "Every Trick in the Book" or, or "Silver Screen," getting in out in and out of the real world to the video world or to the mm-hmm. dream world in an eloquent way. I just thought the way they did that was so brilliant in "Creep Show," um, going from the comic book to you know the, the imagery of the real world, then becoming the drawing. I, I it, it spoke to me very loudly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you got to be bold to pull that kind of thing off and that's that's uh you know something that just sadly you don't get a lot of bold filmmaking decisions these days and and you got to appreciate that from from Creepshow it's just you're not going to half-ass that transition when Adrienne Barbeau is screaming and the entire <laughs> background is red and she's got a green light under her chin. You know, it's like you're that that's a decision. That ain't like uh you know hemming and hawing or a half decision. That's fully committing to the bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one thing we haven't
1: talked about uh, one of the segments is uh, the lonesome death of Geordie barrel. right Spencer how do you how do you feel about Stephen King's acting chops in this I actually this really
2: I really whether you love that one or not it that you can't deny that that one isn't so memorable <laughs> right Just when he's doing his meteor shit like I, I, I <laughs> totally there was something um, also the way they did the the green stuff growing on everything like uh, a combination of the makeup and the sound effects. Like I, I, it makes me uncomfortable. Like I feel like it's growing on me when I'm watching that segment and I like his acting. It's it's campy and yeah. you know, it's supposed to be like a hillbilly. Um, so I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I mean, it's just anytime he makes an appearance in any of those films, whether, you know, he plays the priest, right. in, in pet cemetery, right. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. like, I love that kind of Hitchcock stuff. Oh yeah, um, so yeah, yeah, I I really do enjoy that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. And it's you're right; it's very broad. But like, I don't I don't know. I've n- I've never been bothered by that whiplash and tone uh, between, especially in like horror and comedy. Like, I I I know for a lot of people it's very jarring, but for me, I've always I, I don't know. I, I like it. I like being surprised scene to scene. You know, I like leaving that kind of really dark. You know, still kinda comically darkly funny, you know, first bit, and then you get into this really over the top, you know, uh Hillbilly find thinks he's gonna get rich, and by rich he means like hundreds of dollars, you know, off of this meteor thing and you know, I, I don't know. I know a lot of people don't like that whiplash in tone, but I I think that's kind of the charm of, of creep show, um, and the reason why people still talk about it today, maybe that and and the other
2: thing that i'll mention really quickly the the score uh yeah. just the music throughout is incredible um and especially like when they go back to the tom atkins um you know through line story uh the guy's name is harrison right was that who did it john harrison i think did the the score for it I, oh it, i believe so serves. yes yeah. i just i love i love the theme i love uh I I'm a sucker for low piano chords and that just, that always gets me. Um, And when that music comes on, like it just, it brings me right back to like the first time I saw it or when, whenever I would catch it late at night on HBO or or Cinemax or Showtime. Um, The score is just brilliant. And and Tom Savini, obviously all the practical effects um, are amazing. And I, I think, he said that that was the first time he ever did like an animatronic thing for right. uh, on Fluffy. Yep. And uh, you talk about memorable monsters. It's like the perfect mix of like something that's like kind of a little bit cute and so terrifying at the same time. Um, it's just uh, it's something that, that always stuck with me, that, that monster in particular.
1: What do you think about Creepshow 2?
2: You know, I'm not as familiar with Creepshow 2. I've definitely seen it. I re- The one that I remember the most is like the, that sort of thing on the lake, like kind of like the blob. Oh, the raft. Kind of thing. Yeah. The raft. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I haven't given it its fair sort of spin yet. I've definitely seen it, but it's know, not the first as good. Few times it didn't, it didn't stick out to me as, as memorable. and Right.
0: What I'll what I'll give Creepshow 2 is that it's like more mid to late '80s, and it's for whatever reason it's cheaper. You know, they they made it more more cheaply, uh, but it also has that kind of like more cynical, mid to late '80s like gritty darkness to it. That that like there's just something that's a little ew about creep show too like whether it's the weird sexual stuff in the raft or you know the the uh uh, what would i guess you'd call it like uh you know red face or brown face or whatever that they do with casting all the native people as white dudes and you know i i I don't know it's like the whole thing is just kind of yucky uh, which you know for horror that's not a bad flavor to get um so I'll, i'll i'll give i'll give them some points for that but yeah there's (laughs) <laughs> it, and it's weird to say this in the one where you have Stephen King talking about meteor shit and, you know, cockroaches killing a a, a rich white dude. Um, but there's something classier a little bit about the first creep show. Uh, and that might just squarely lay on the uh, the shoulders of Romero being the guy at the helm for, for all these. Because there, there is something, you know, that as fun and crazy as, as Romero's directorial work got, you know, there is something a little classy about it you know there's just absolutely there he there's always some meaning or some depth even for the most ridiculous shit he did there's there's always something there something below the surface you know
2: i mean and you talk about like elegance in filmmaking like that that, the whole way that the um cockroach sequence with E.G. Marshall is filmed, uh, right. like from the set design to the sound effects of like when he presses the button and it sucks something down. I I don't know. There, there's there's like an elegance in like the minimalism right. of that set design, um, and I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. There's there's something special in in the framing and. But there's also
0: a glee to everything. And this goes to your your favorite segment there and Leslie Nielsen's performance. The, one of the reasons why that's such a standout is there's a glee in his eye. He's like excited and happy and there's just life to it in a way that maybe there isn't in Creepshow 2. Because you can just tell that these guys genuinely love this shit. You know, they they love being yeah. there. They, even like looking at, at Harris's, you know, dance or whatever, there's these moments where where the actors can cut loose and have fun and there's... You know uh, uh, the directing and the the lighting. Like everybody has a moment to to just be like, I just am having a blast doing what I'm doing, and that shows through. Um, I say that not knowing the production history super well, so maybe it was a fucking nightmare and everybody hated it. But uh, it feels to me like it was one of those that everybody was just just super psyched to be working on it. Mm -hmm. It,
2: I see what you mean, And and also I think you know something that I haven't thought about really till now. It seems like Stephen King and Romero was it was such a great chemistry and such a great team up. And you think about both of those guys, both both of these guys loved where they came from, right? They loved Pittsburgh. They loved Maine. They stayed yeah. in those areas. I'm sure the people that 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 Romero worked with on that film are the people he is used for years, you know, and you know, I think most of it was filmed on the East Coast in Pittsburgh. So mm-hmm. I think there's like a real like um pride in making that stuff maybe not in L.A. or something like that, maybe away from totally. where the studios could right. tamper with it um, that I think kind of shows through um, in that this film in particular.
1: If this scenario takes place with you, Spencer, and you're in the E.G. Marshall role, what is the apartment flooding with? Is it cockroaches or is there another type of insect or... <laughs> Something along those lines that you would find more horrifying.
2: Well, I I really hate cockroaches. I don't think there's anyone that likes cockroaches. So as far as creepy, crawly things that that are spiders. Yeah, Um, spiders You know, like arachnophobia was a movie Mm -hmm. that scared the shit out of me. I still don't understand why that hasn't been remade with all the advanced like that. That movie could be so terrifying. I think they're doing one. Like, Like,
1: I think I read that somewhere.
2: Well, they should. Um, but other than cockroaches, I hate cilantro. So I don't know how that would,
1: I guess. So I
2: guess you could kind of t- like sort of make a hybrid of the cockroach story and uh, the meteor one, like, in but the meteor, <laughs> it's cilantro growing all over me.
0: Right. Yeah. Is that, so your nightmare scenario is Geordie Barrel but instead of it being like moss and weeds and stuff, it's, it's cilantro growing yeah. out cilantro. of you. Cilantro. That's getting one garnished of to, to death.
2: To death. Yeah. Uh, death by garnish man
1: (laughs) yeah i think it would be spiders for me too cockroaches you say no one no one likes cockroaches um i don't i i don't i guess i don't like them but i am not bothered by them you know they seem like 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 as far as i know they can't bite you um you never hear of anyone getting a cockroach bite and losing a limb or true something like that but um yeah Spiders. spiders are the the thing that scared the shit out of me. I, I would also don't like bees. Scorpions. Bees? Oh,
2: scorpions. I don't like bees, man. I like I'm always so paranoid that a bee is gonna come into the bus or something. Like last <laughs> night when we were playing and we were wa- I was walking back to the bus, there was a bee just hanging out by that door, trying to get in the bus. And man, there's nothing worse than like when a bee gets in your car. I know they're important for the ecosystem and I love <laughs> Candyman. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but like that scene in uh in the movie the crush with Alicia mm-hmm. Silverstone when she yeah. pours those wasps into the woman's like photography dark room through the vent—that mm. yeah. shit is pretty scary to me.
0: There's a yeah. good beehive kill in Sleepaway Camp as well.
2: That's right. Yeah. yeah. And my girl.
1: Yeah, <laughs> all-time. Yeah.
0: He can't see without his glasses. There's too many of
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> That kid got murked by bees off screen. <laughs> I I no less. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right.
1: So um, I guess my, my final question for you here is um, are, are you a, a fan of horror anthologies in general? This is something that comes up on the show somewhat, somewhat frequently. I uh, am. I yeah. am.
2: I love, you know, you mentioned um, tales from the crypt. That was, mm-hmm. uh, that's another one of my first mm-hmm. memories of, of falling in love with horror and comedy um seeing that show on HBO and yeah I, I I'm such a a a pun play on word kind of guy that when the crypt keeper like whether it's conscious or subconscious that that influenced me so much the way that the Crypt keeper would 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 take those horrible slogans and turn them into beautifully like like George Carlin level like <laughs> puns to me and it's so funny because we we work with John Kassir now. He does our intro that oh, we're nice. using on the Metallica tour, which I I got to, that was one of the coolest things ever getting to like write a script for the Crypt Keeper to deliver <laughs> like with, with, with all the kind of pun stuff. Um, I love tales from the hood. That's yeah. one of my oh, yeah. favorite okay, anthologies. Really um, those stories, you know, I don't think that stuff would exist without creep show, um, or tales from the crypt. um, so yeah, I really am a big, big fan when it's done right. Um and uh, you know, trick or treat is obviously a more mm-hmm. modern one that's really cool that that is uh spoken to people. So I think that it's a it really a- cool platform. Yeah, that is a you do pretty right. big
0: life. Yeah, that trick or treat is like it's you know, I, I guess it's smart. It's a little bit of the John Carpenter smarts of like setting you know, calling his movie Halloween, so now it's it's uh it's seasonal. You know, when you can make right. your horror movie seasonal or any movie, you know, you make a Christmas movie, you know, whatever. If you can make a good one and then suddenly it's just you know, it's just there's an excuse every year to bring it back in the, into the, the main mainstream. And I I'm a big fan of trick or treat. There's also uh, Mario Bava did did a few anthologies and there's one that uh, called Black Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I always get because he did Black Sabbath and Black Sunday, and I I always get confused which one's which. And I think Sabbath is actually the fun one. Black Sunday is a movie, uh, like a feature film. But Black Sabbath is uh, uh, just th- that one was one where I'm like, oh, my God, this is like kind of wall to wall bangers. This this one, um, I guess it's always a trick in these anthologies is, is making every, um, you know, section of it worthwhile because even though i can nitpick you know and we've done so some of the creep show ones i don't hate any of them you know i think i think they're all entertaining or interesting in in some in some uh way you know but the i can't say that for a lot of horror anthologies you know
1: yeah one one of the things no one ever really talks about in relation to trick-or-treat that i think is kind of a low-key secret weapon in that movie is Mm. that it's not just that it's an anthology thing and you're getting multiple storylines. They're all interconnected. It's yeah. like almost like a Magnolia thing where, yeah, you know, all the storylines are meshed together and they're, they're overlapping at a certain point. So there's like a really satisfying sort of like interlocking feel to the segments in that movie that a lot of horror anthologies don't have. They have like a wraparound, you know, segment like you see on all the VHS movies or, you know, shit, shit along those lines. And those are good sometimes, but just the way it's it, it blended together really feels like Mike Doherty went the uh, went the extra mile on that one. I wish he'd make another one of those
0: things. Yeah, he's been threatening to for a long time, but I, I just I, I think the financing is is odd, or maybe there's a rights issue. There's something right. keeping Trick or Treat too because they they announced it like ten years ago that they were yeah, going to do it. Yeah, um, and it's and it's just a natural, you know, in exactly for what you were saying, he found kind of this middle road between. Um, a feature film and an anthology and cause there's like a pulp fictiony thing where they, yeah. there's time differences. You'll see people die at the beginning that you'll then see in later episodes and realize that the thing that you're watching at the end of the trick or treat happened like in the middle or at the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know there there it's a clever thing where you know the audience is participating in some way of like going oh yeah it's the same feeling you get when you're watching when you watch pulp fiction for the first time and you realize Jules and Vincent are eating at the diner from the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. you're like oh shit so they're there when honey bunny and you know robs the place you know
1: well is there anything else we want to talk about in relation to creep show
2: i mean i think we covered all yeah. of it um yeah i mean from the makeup effects to their uh chemistry romero and king and and and
0: do, I, do you have any thoughts on the wraparound like the the tom atkins and joe joe hill
2: with the voodoo doll kind of thing
0: the voodoo doll well and the fact that it's like actually stephen king's kid you know i don't know i mean tom
2: atkins it's hard it's hard for him to yeah. not just steal every scene he's in you know i mean when, when he says that line is like that hey baby that's why uh god made fathers or something like uh-huh. that you know? like he, <laughs> yeah he's such a dick <laughs> and you know that, like within two seconds, you're just like, "Fuck this guy!" But he's one of those actors that that you love to kind of hate, you know, when he does that kind of so well. Yeah, um, and excited to have him at the convention too. I was yeah, gonna say, yeah,
1: I, I, I'm a huge Halloween three nerd. Oh, uh, so mm. I'm I'd, I'd be delighted to meet that guy.
0: Yeah, and, um, and Night of the Creeps, of course. Yeah, and I, I I held a. It, like I'm, I'm a big fred decker fan so like monster squad night of the creeps are like massive massive movies for me and so like uh back in the day i held like um retrospective screenings at the alamo for for both um and uh this the one that we did for night of the creeps was a couple years after monster squad and we got like we got everybody like we got atkins we got um like all the leads like everybody came out for it it was awesome and uh uh, and so I spent a little time with that dude and he, and he is exactly what you'd want, want him to be just kind of cantankerous, but also like full of stories and, and obviously eating up kind of the fact that he, his work was appreciated and very happy that people like knew and respected the stuff. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that dude and, and, uh, and maybe we'll run into him while we're on the ground in, in Danvers.
2: Absolutely, I've got another story that's kind of Stephen King related that I could tell. I don't know where you'd use it, or fit for another, you know, I know bonus content. And this involves (laughs) obviously something that's a little controversial with King because he didn't really like The Shining, right? Yeah, like um, the the the, at least the first uh, film adaptation that's wildly iconic. Uh, When we were first over playing in the uk the band took out um another group called shields um you know band from from outside of london and uh when we had an off day after our london show um the guitarist the guitarist slash singer sam said hey come and come and stay with me you know i live uh pretty close to London, Hertfordshire. I think Hertfordshire, I don't know exactly how you pronounce it, is the town. Right. And uh, so we're like, yeah, absolutely. We got, We don't know anyone in the UK, really. We've never been over here. So we drove to his house. We had the address and we had a tour manager with us that kind of knew a lot about uh, the local bands and the local music scene. So when we're driving to this kid's house, he's like, you know where we're going, right? And as we're like approaching the, the this what seems like an estate he's like sam oh, is stanley uh kubrick's grandson oh and my we're god going to stanley kubrick's estate so we're like are you are you serious right now so we drive into the property huge beautiful property um he has a stay in like the barn area where i guess stanley cut a lot of his films oh my um, god and you know we just became very good friends with with um Samuel and and with that band and um you know he gave us a whole tour of the property and uh saw his, you know Stanley's personal library um and uh just you know stuff from different different films whether it was like the masks from uh Eyes Wide Shut or, you know, the original film reel from Full Metal Jacket. So long story short, how it ties all back to to Stephen King is when we we ended up doing a song about the shining uh, for um, Mm -hmm. our album, Every Trick in the Book, we were like, we got to we got to ask Sam if he'll sing on the song. So he he said yes, and so we wrote this part specifically for him. So we thought that would just be a, another cool Easter egg for the fans, much like the mm, Pet awesome. Cemetery connection. So uh, Stanley Kubrick's grandson sings on our song about The Shining, and there's that fucking rad bloodline. Yeah, I would um, lose Simon. my
1: mind to be at to be at that property. Like my God, the the history of it just it's on the, wild. I, yeah, that's that's what an incredible experience to have. Oh that's man! And we went
2: back there several times, and became such good friends with with them that, like, for a while, we stored all of our European uh, musical gear, like touring gear that we would need to tour over there, at the Kubrick Estate.
0: <laughs> God damn, you, you, cool. you treated it like a, a, like a haul storage, storage unit. <laughs> I mean, we were
2: just you know, we thought maybe something would rub off on the on the gear, you know, some sort of magic filmmaking dust storytelling Mm -hmm.
0: dust and ever since then your your instruments will only uh work on the 101st take
1: exactly
0: (laughs) Uh, that's the that it'll take you so long now look what you did to yourself
1: (laughs) spencer where where can people go to get tickets to silver scream con where can they find you online uh let's let's do some self promo
2: absolutely uh the two websites you can check out everything at for the band whether it's uh our tour we're doing with Metallica. We're out with them for the next year on their M72 tour. So definitely get tickets to see that. Ice9kills.com. That's um, awesome. And then silverscream.com. Uh, get your tickets. Uh, as I said earlier, it's getting uh, it's getting down to the wire. We've sold more tickets uh, than we know uh, we have space to do with. So get it before we have to actually put a cap on it. <laughs> fire marshal's
1: coming
0: well <laughs> they're, they're all only coming to our show though so yeah we yeah, need we need crazy. to to you know have some you're overflow gonna for the the rest of the shit oh yeah we're gonna have two people me. in there we and have a be whole uh,
2: separate security team for you guys so that you, can, <laughs> you can move sort of in and out of the venue without being hassled
1: <laughs> yeah, well, thank you that's <laughs> that will be very helpful uh, <laughs> we do hate to get mobbed um but, uh, you know, again, thank you. Uh, thank you for the invite. We, we can't wait to, uh, to be there with you and the, uh, the rest of the silver screen folks. And, uh, you know, thanks for taking the time to, to come on the show and, and talk to us about this stuff.
2: Absolutely honored that, uh, that you'd want me as a guest and, and thank you for lying and saying that I was one of the most highly uh, sought after <laughs> guests. I don't believe it for a second No, but it was a good time. Thanks for having me and totally and have me back anytime.
0: Many thanks to Spencer Charnas for finally joining us. As uh, Scott mentioned during the show, he was a mm-hmm. very often requested guest. Yes. Uh, you know, and then you look at look into him, you go, oh, that's why. He is a, a giant Stephen King nerd. And, uh, you know, weirdly enough, this might be a good podcast for a giant Stephen King nerd to come on. And, yes. and it was. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing him and all the other horror weirdos and like-minded, uh, passionate people fans around at uh silver screams we're as, as of this recording we are just a couple of days from getting on a plane and heading over to massachusetts to do our yes. live show up there so
1: yes we're gonna yeah. we're gonna tour the area do some do some touristy shit you know probably some lobster rolls probably go to the bar from goodwill hunting
0: who knows <laughs> you know yeah we're gonna we're gonna see about the apple salem yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah we're gonna have a we're gonna have a good time up there and we're also gonna check out the you know, what What promises to be a very spirited convention in uh, Silver Scream Con, which is in Denver, Massachusetts, this coming Friday. Uh, go to com to learn more.
0: Well, do you want to give the people a glimpse at what we got coming up in the next week? Uh, we got we got some bangers like next week's episode is uh, probably the most chaotic episode we've recorded in quite a while and uh, yeah it's uh, um, in a good way in a good it's way it's the
1: best the mist episode i think we've done we've done some some strong the mist episodes but this one is this one's a little different and uh i had a, a, an absolute blast recording it i think people are really going to respond to it
0: yeah we got we got uh our guests are two directors neither one of them have been on the show before they have a segments in an in an upcoming horror anthology, uh, spirited people, really funny conversation. Uh, and they also approach the mist from a very different cultural angle, which is very, uh, interesting and leads to a lot of hijinks and, and chaos and hilarity, uh, as they start breaking it down from that angle. It is, it is a wild episode. It's really fun. And, uh, I can't wait for y'all to hear it.
1: Yes, absolutely. And then, uh, on the Patreon this Friday, that's patreon.com backslash the King cast, which you really should be signed up for by now. Uh, we're doing all kinds of fun shit over there. And as soon as you go sign up, you will unlock uh, a bazillion is the official uh, number. on uh, Yeah, yep.
0: we are up there. Bonus
1: episodes, commentaries, interviews, uh, curveball episodes, straight up episodes, like everything you can possibly uh, imagine with your mind. We're doing it over there. Um, And what is I'm sorry, I'm I'm dragging this out because I forgot what the what is the bonus? Oh, wait, I remember what the bonus episode is this Friday. We are talking to a YouTuber and uh, uh, a friend of ours uh, who has never been on the show before uh, by the name of Amanda the Jedi about one of the grossest short stories in Stephen King's uh, bibliography, which would be
0: a very tight place. Do you like poop? Well, then this Friday's bonus episodes for you. I'm selling it well, aren't I? I think this is a really great yeah. sell for our Patreon. We talked well, we about poop we might as well lean into it
1: because, like, as we talk about on the on this episode, like I, I gave Amanda a few different options, and she chose with intent the grossest one. So um, I'm very happy we got to to do this episode. But I would not eat lunch while listening <laughs> to it.
0: Yeah, we we've been. Uh, Deciding we want to kind of do deep dives into a lot of uh, the lesser talked about Stephen King short stories and some of these bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, another one. This is from uh, Just After Sunset, I believe. Um, and the episode is about uh, uh, two warring neighbors that don't like each other. And one of them traps the other one in a porta potty. And things uh, don't go well from there. And uh, yeah, so gross as hell, super funny conversation. Very very lively conversation. I'll say as well. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a topic that doesn't often get discussed when it comes uh, to Stephen King's work. And uh, yes, uh, and I, I'm I'm very happy with the results. It is kind of going back to our punk (laughs) rockish chaotic days of like just diving into the weirdest fucking possible uh, angles on, on King material that you can imagine. And we, you know, we're having fun with it. And I think you guys will too. Absolutely.
1: Awesome. Uh, I think that's about it for this week. Yeah.
0: Hell yeah. So I'll see some of y'all in uh, in Massachusetts uh, this, yes, this Friday. Hi. And um, yeah, and we'll see y'all in the next feed for some talk about the mist with uh, two mystery directors. Prepare yourselves. It's a wild one. Y'all
1: adios folks.
0: Bye. The Kingcast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted and created by Eric Vespi, That's me. And Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly.